everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 483 through 485, which will cover manga chapters 574 through 577. And we get four chapters this time. Uh, this is the big one, the climax of the Marineford arc. And it's definitely going to be a longer episode as I have a little bit more to say. But yeah, let's get into the differences. So there's a, uh, there's a couple differences, actually several of them. First off, there's an extra scene of a few guys thinking of going to find Galdino to get Marco's cuffs off. That scene is never actually in there. And the next time we actually do see them is when they just drag Galdino to Marco. So that already has happened off screen. Uh, the next change is there's an added scene of Whitebeard trying to save Ace from Makainu where Kizaru fires a laser into his arm. And that's not in the manga as well. Another added scene was of Ace recollecting people who mocked and reviled the idea of Roger having offsprings. And then there's the big difference, though the one, one of the biggest changes, I would say, in the manga since they removed Zeph's uh, leg-eating portion from Sanji's flashback. But in the manga, when he counterattacks Whitebeard and he uses his Hellhound attack, and in the anime, he just blows off Whitebeard's mustache, which is laughable. But in fact, in the manga, this attack actually blows off not only his mustache, but like a third of his head. Like you see a huge chunk of his head just gone. And I understand why they wanted to censor this to make it more palatable for younger audiences for the anime. But what I never understood about the censorship is why just his mustache? Like, at, at least have it graze his face so it kind of like singes it and he sustains like a slight burn at least. This makes it appear like it was a significant thing because, oh no, his prize defining white beard slash white mustache is now destroyed. It makes it really, I don't know, it loses a lot of the impact um, that this scene has. And in addition, in the anime, Akainu uses his hellhound attack not on Whitebeard's face, but he uses it to hit Whitebeard's gut. And so in the anime, you actually see two holes in Whitebeard's chest, whereas in the manga, he only has that initial hole in his chest from Akainu's first attack. And then obviously his head's blown off. But yeah, after this hit in the anime, there's, there's a pause where he reflects on Ace and then goes into his massive second attack on Akainu to his side. So in the in the manga, basically how this plays out is that instead of him using that rapid fire magma fist where his mustache gets blown off, that attack is immediately just hellhound. And that's what blows off his face. And there is no second attack. Because in the manga, it's like this really quick transition. It's like boom, 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 where Whitebeard attacks... Akainu counterattacks and blows off half of his or a third of his head. And then Whitebeard in, in immediately hits the side of Akainu, slamming him into the, the side of the Marineford facade. And this all seems to happen very quickly. Whereas in the anime, this portion was animated really well, I, I will admit. Like the choreography was actually done really well, but it's much more drawn out. And I have to say, I think I like the uh, the manga version better, to be honest, because not just because it's more intense with, you know, the, the head wound that Whitebeard sustains, but also just like how quick it is. And just it just shows how much more powerful and skilled these guys are. Another thing is in the manga, when they show that final shot of 
Whitebeard's, you know, body standing upright, and the, the narrator talks about how he doesn't have any retreat wounds. You can actually see that in the manga, he's got swords stabbed in through him. Like, they go all the way through his front side of his chest and out the back. And it just shows how much more brutal the Blackbeard pirates were when they were just dumping, like, mag-dumping all of their attacks onto him in, in his final moments. And so so they, they um, censored that a little bit. And speaking of swords going through his head... I. I completely failed to mention when Squard stabs Whitebeard. Um, in in the manga, the blade actually goes all the way through his back. You can actually see the blade come out the the backside, but in the in the anime, it's just the tip of the sword that pierces his chest. And I I don't know how I forgot this, but yeah, I completely forgot to mention that in the podcast like about three or four episodes ago. But yeah, those are all the changes that. I noticed in these, so let's get into these episodes because this is going to be a crazy one. After the unimaginable cliffhanger from the last set of episodes, Ace has taken a fatal blow from Akainu to the chest, and this is brutal. And this is probably one of the most graphic and brutal the series has been. Like, they do cover the wound with fire, but the amount of blood that Ace coughs up is still quite a bit. And there's this moment right after where all the Whitebeard pirates play into Akainu, blasting him with everything they've got, and Akainu just emerges all mangled, but f- like pretty much fine, because nothing can hurt him. And and I can't help but think when he emerges from the fire that this was maybe a slight nod to Terminator 2's T-1000. Like, when he's walking out of the fire, and although it doesn't happen in the same scene, but when he gets like his top half blown off and the top part kind of like curls out is basically similar to Akainu's body when the T-1000 takes that huge shot and you, you like see like the top half of him just like curl over to the to the right and it's it's a pretty significant imagery from both and and I can't help but wonder if this was a nod to Terminator 2 Judgment Day but anyways putting that aside when Akainu goes in for the finishing blow Jinbei comes in to protect him and Ace And this is such an amazing moment for Jinbei. The dude is simply an incredible character the whole way. Just even standing up to Akainu to save what's left of Ace and probably more importantly Luffy. He's completely prepared to sacrifice his life for them knowing full well he stands no chance against Akainu. And I love Jinbei. uh, I know for a lot of you, you probably think that I liked him because of what happens to him later. But even in this moment, I love Jinbei when I first read this. One thing that's changed slightly from the manga, though, and I didn't mention this in the differences section because I don't think it's a huge difference, is Jinbei, he stops Akainu's attack with one hand in the manga, whereas in the anime, it's changed to two hands. And it seems like an odd change, but I think I might know why it was made. So in the manga, Jinbei comes in and does this sort of underhanded stop of Akainu's fist and it's it's hard to imagine getting any kind of leverage or strength to stop a top-down attack from Akainu so they made it an overhand cross block in the anime however I think I know why Oda initially drew it with the one-handed block because if you look at the framing of the panel it's clear he wanted Ace visible in the panel and the only way to do that would be to make the attack come from a lower angle to get that camera down lower. And so in order for it to make sense, I think Oda had Jinbei block 
it underhanded rather than doing an overhanded block with two arms. That's just my theory, but <laughs> again, it's not a very significant change. So, but it is it is a difference that was interesting. The next scene is pretty badass, despite how annoyed we kind of are at Garp that he lets this happen. But he makes his way towards Akainu, and Sengoku has to come in and slam his head and pin him to the ground to stop him from killing Akainu. And he even goes as far as to call him call him Sakazuki and not his admiral title, Akainu. Showing just how personal this has become for him, which clearly. But I, I do like this scene with Garp because, yeah, you do see how much it pains him to, to have to hold back for his duty. And Sengoku understanding this. And, you know, as much as we are kind of also miffed at, at Sengoku, he is being a good friend to Garp by making sure that he doesn't do anything that he's going to regret. The rest of this episode is rough to watch, even to this day. I've seen this episode many, many, many times, and even the moments within this within this episode many times. You know, and it's it's real. It's yeah, it's still a really sad episode, especially seeing how stunned, traumatized, and panicked Luffy is. This whole scene is just chilling and heartbreaking. It's clear that Ace is done, and and listening to Luffy begging anyone and everyone to help his brother is really hard. I, I think. One thing we forget about Luffy, since he's always so strong, and in the whole you know medium of anime and and fiction, we kind of lose perspective in general that Luffy is still a seventeen year old kid at this point. He's a kid, and at this moment, he's not the tough badass hero of the story. This is just a scared kid pleading with the world to save his only big brother. And when looked at from that perspective, it's incredibly painful to watch. However, this moment is equally difficult, if not more difficult, to watch upon rewatch after learning more about their relationship as kids later on in the series. It's truly heartbreaking because you realize what they really meant to each other, what Ace meant to Luffy, particularly because of his life experiences. And the same thing goes for Ace's dying words as well. During Ace's final words, we learn that it was Luffy along with a character we've never heard of up until now named Sabo, who will become an important character later on, are the sole reason that Ace found the courage and will to continue his life. We also hear Ace talking to talking about Dadan, the woman we've seen silhouettes of in, in small flashbacks, the woman that Garp left Ace with and raised him. And there were some people that at the time thought that maybe Dadan might be Luffy's mom, but... I never thought about that idea. But anyways, yeah, Ace's lone regret in life is that he'll never get to see Luffy achieve his dreams, but believes that he'll eventually achieve them. And it's really heartbreaking that Ace's entire life has been built around the goal of learning if it was okay for him to have been born. Like, can you imagine how sad it must be to live your life like that? But the, but the reality is, I think a lot of people at one time or another struggle with varying degrees of this level of self doubt and guilt i know not all everyone does but I, I know i did when i was a kid and the truly sad irony is that it wasn't until the moment on the platform seeing the lengths that everyone is going to save him did he finally come to the realization that the answer to his question is yes and it's so it, it's so sad and bittersweet that he it took this long and, and basically all the way up until just before the end of his life that he realized the answer to that question. He found a father and a family that accepted him, that didn't care about his lineage, and just wanted Ace for who he was. 
And his final, final moments are so sad, but in true D fashion, Ace's flame dies out with a smile. And I think for me, though, the hardest part about watching Ace's death play out is actually not so much Ace himself, but it's watching Luffy's reaction to this and seeing him break down as Ace's lifeless body lays there in front of him with his Vibra card burnt up. And, and that was probably the most difficult. And his screaming performed by Mayumi Tanaka is haunting. Like, we've never heard anything like this from Luffy then just seeing Luffy go completely catatonic here from grief and shock is another harrowing scene. Like our unbeatable, happy-go-lucky, always positive main character, broken and reduced to a shell, is is a thing that, that's affected me the most when it comes to this scene. And it's actually affected me even more so than Ace's death. And I remember at the time this was released, and even for a while afterwards... There was always this sort of vocal subset of the community who always shits on this moment, saying things like, this moment doesn't land for them, or that Ace was a bad and underdeveloped character, so this moment doesn't pack any impact. And while those criticisms, I think, are valid at this point in the story, I don't even disagree that Ace was an underdeveloped character. But regardless of which medium you choose, yeah, it's it, he is not in the story very much, because... The manga, you don't get those added fillers where Ace spent more time with the Straw Hats in Arabasta. However, if you watched only the anime, you don't get his cover story. So either way, you're lacking some more story with Ace unless you read and watched both. But even despite all that, Ace, yeah, doesn't get much screen time if, even if you combine all that. But to those people, I've always said that in this moment, it's it's sad about Ace and I do feel something, and especially those... You know, those fervent Ace fans, like he's got some really great fans and there's a huge community of people who love Ace and Ace is like their favorite character. And yeah, there are a lot of them. But the true purpose of Ace's death in the story has always meant to serve Luffy's story and how it affects him. And the way Luffy breaks here is enough to give all the emotional impact you need, in my opinion. This scene has always been about Luffy seeing Marco epically declare that it's now their sole goal of protecting Luffy on Ace's behalf is nothing short of spine-chilling. I don't know about you, but my emotions were just all over the place when I first read this, and even to this day watching it. Like, this some, this is something I constantly praise about One Piece. It's just its ability to make you feel so many emotions at once without it seeming weird is pretty incredible. But next, we have to talk about the famous shot of Whitebeard scaring the unstoppable force that is a kind of shitless. <laughs> this scene, I can tell you, is amazing. As Whitebeard suddenly appears towering over him behind him, and Akainu's face here is priceless. Like, he is in, is in this one moment actually scared because of who is standing behind him with the rage of a thousand suns about to rain down on him. And looking at this one shot is epic and funny at the same time because you could just overlay that meme of that Morgan Freeman sound-alike soundbite of it was at this moment he knew he fucked up over over this and it worked so well. The crazy thing is this specific face is pretty much in the anime only because in the manga this panel is so tiny that Akainu's face or his eyes are obstructed and I like that the director of this episode did did um show his face his entire face and his eyes and he deserves some props for this decision you can just feel this seething rage in white beard 
And the zoom in on his eyes from that blank, blackened stare to the fury and and that close-up on his eyes as he moves into his attack. This scene was masterfully directed, in my opinion. And in this moment, you just want Whitebeard to fully lay into Akainu with the full force of the Gura Gura no Mi. And that's exactly what he does, as he just pancakes Akainu's head into the ground. And I love the way that they use this exaggerated stretching and squashing effects to really convey just how much impact Whitebeard is exerting on him. The way Akainu's head pretty much just flattens to like a pixel in length makes me think that Akainu should have died by all accounts. But then again, we have Whitebeard who's taken multiple shot wounds and holes in his chest. But not only that, in, in the manga, which I'm taking as the canon version, Akainu counterattacks and blows off a third of Whitebeard's face, as we talked about in the differences section. And this whole fight is incredible and very fluidly animated. But after taking a massive hit, Whitebeard then counters back with this devastating and very satisfying hit on Akainu with this massive quick gut punch to the side. And just seeing Akainu's like face and like head just like curve and he just he's just experiencing all this pain at once. And it, it, the fact that the shockwave not only hits him and but goes past him to basically level the rest of Marineford's HQ in an insanely epic fashion, and it's sort of like an ultimate attack. The two-page spread in the manga of this scene is nothing short of spectacular, and he does this while also making sure to protect his family by also splitting them from the rest of the base, and he creates this huge chasm between himself and his fleeing sons. I mean, just from this one panel, you gain a new understanding and appreciation for just how monstrously strong Whitebeard is, it really starts to make you wonder how strong the other three emperors are as well. Like, and it, and it also makes me rethink just how strong Roger was if Roger was supposedly even greater than Whitebeard. Of course, you know, power scaling is is a really weird thing in One Piece. So it's it's you know it's best to not think about that too much. But it does it does come up. Of course, this fight wasn't even the craziest development in this episode as we take a sudden and shocking left turn to tie up that other loose end introduced in Impel Down with the surprise appearance of Blackbeard and his expanded new crew of level 6 inmates as we see the massive San Juan Wolf just creepily leering from behind the Marine HQ building or at least what's left of it and Blackbeard has now added four Impel Down level 6 inmates in the aforementioned San Juan Wolf, Abaro Pizarro, Vasco Shot, and Katarina Devon. Most uh, of which have their trademark unique laugh. And if that wasn't enough, we also know he's added Shiryu, the former warden of Impel Down. And this is a huge development. And the first thing that immediately jumped to mind about this sudden expansion of his crew was that now he's got nearly the same number of crew members as Luffy. And I thought this has got to end at some point where each straw hat will eventually need to go toe-to-toe with the Whitebeard Pirates towards the end of the series. And that's definitely where my mind immediately went. Of course, that's way into the future. But for now, it brings this whole saga full circle as the man that started all this trouble is now back. But what on earth is he here to do? Like, no matter how much of a power-up he got with the new crew members, he can't possibly take on the Marine and Whitebeard, so why is he even here? And yeah, a lot of questions run through your mind and the community's head at the time, but nothing could have prepared us to learn what he actually came here to do as 
I'm almost certain that no one predicted this. I guess that's a bit hyperbolic because probably the first half, as me and most people predicted, he wanted to be the one to maybe finish off Whitebeard for the fame and prestige uh, that it would afford him. But the second half and the real reason is wild. And to, still to this day, one of the most dissected and talked about events in One Piece. But of course, I'm getting a little ahead of myself because it's not covered in these sets of episodes. So we'll talk about that in next pod, in the next podcast. Before moving forward, though, one interesting piece of information that came out of this was we learned that it was a feat who allowed both Luffy and the others to pass through the gates of justice, which is a fact I completely forgot about until this rewatch. Like, seriously, I just took that scene for granted and never once thought more about it and just straight up forgot this important detail. And mind you, I've seen and read this, this entire Marineford arc and this part about, a, you know, combined six or seven times over the years. And we also finally got to learn a little bit more about Blackbeard's mysterious crew in that we learned that Lafitte has hypnosis abilities similar to Django, but he's not incompetent and will hypnotize himself, which is also a fact that I completely forgot about up until I just did this rewatch. So yeah, take it from me, there's still so much in One Piece that it's hard to keep track of everything. But anyways, Whitebeard's response to all this blabbering between Teach and Sengoku is just, I don't care, and just straight up blasts them. And he's rightfully pissed off for killing Thatch and causing all this to begin with. And this was yet another crazy matchup during this arc that got goosebumps all over me. Not only would we get to see two incredibly powerful fruit powers, but the most mystery surrounding Blackbeard has always been... As thick as his yummy yummy powers. Blackbeard by this point for me, anytime he appears on screen is a must-see TV thing because any sort of information on him and his powers is there's just so much unknown that you cling to any breadcrumbs that you can find just to try and understand him and his powers. One thing I don't really like what the anime did in their first encounter though is that they made Whitebeard appear slightly weaker than he already does in the manga in an effort to add more length to the episode. I mentioned this in the differences section a little bit, but I wanted to go more in depth on this because I think this is one of those changes that seems innocuous, but it changes the characters a bit. Whitebeard in this scene is still the top dog and shows that, you know, how much Blackbeard is A, overestimating his own strength and his powers, and B, just his arrogance. But in the anime, Blackbeard does get a few hits in on Whitebeard, whereas in the manga, Whitebeard's quake powers get nullified, but then immediately changes strategy and just slashes him across the shoulder. So yeah, in the manga, Whitebeard is still pretty much the person on top and knows exactly what he's doing. But in the anime, you get the sense that like it takes a little bit longer for Whitebeard to understand what's happening and to re reorient himself for another counterattack. This whole scene is kind of a nice poetic justice moment for Blackbeard because that's exactly what he says to Ace on Bonaro Island when they fought. And Ace relied too heavily on his powers and paid the price, but now Blackbeard is kind of doing the same thing. And not only do you see how hypocritical he is, but that's then highlighted even more when Whitebeard has him by the neck and is ready to squash his head. And he begs for mercy like a little weasel he is, but appealing to Whitebeard's love of family and calling himself one of his sons. And of all the villains we've met so far, Blackbeard has always come across to me as the most underhanded and conniving of them all. But what's scary is that he's got the intelligence, patience, and power to make that part of him truly thrive. Like all the villains we've met so far, 
they all have some shred of con conscience or code that they follow. Blackbeard, on the other hand, is probably the most detestable yet scariest person, precisely because he doesn't seem to have either a conscience nor a code. He just kind of does what he wants. He's the embodiment of like chaos and selfishness. Also, we've got to talk about Blackbeard's durability at this point because it's just not normal, even by the standards of the hyper fantasy world of One Piece. Even after that, he's more or less okay considering what he just took. Sure, Whitebeard is on death's doorstep, but he's still a freaking beast, and Blackbeard just took a huge gash to the shoulder and chest while getting his head nearly flattened by a mini earthquake, and he's still more or less functional. And that's not even taking into consideration that his yummy amino meat powers amplifies the pain he experiences by absorbing all of it and more. It's at this point you start to wonder, or at least I did, whether Blackbeard and Whitebeard to an extent are even actual humans. Like these two guys not only are far bigger than most normal people, but can tank damage like no other. And to be honest, as the series has gone on, more and more do I think something is up with Blackbeard. But I can't quite put my finger on it. Uh, but it is strange. And Marco even hints at this in the next set of episodes. We, he doesn't mention it in this trio of episodes. But we'll we'll kind of address it in the next podcast. Because even Marco does mention that there is something strange about Blackbeard. But it's at this point Blackbeard shows just how pathetic and a coward he is when the chips are down. And resorts to just having his crew gang up on Whitebeard and unload everything into him. And I know this scene was likely animated black and white to reduce sort of the impact of the violence, but I actually think it works really well because they chose to leave the blood red, so it creates this intense contrast and highlights just the, the brutality of this even more, just in my opinion. It looks pretty striking with the red blood on just the black and white backgrounds. Then we get one of the most revealing flashbacks of Roger we've ever seen, it's a very short one, but it certainly leaves an impact as we see that Roger and Edward were friends and that, that he told him all about his adventures, but not exactly how to get to Laugh Tale since, as we've seen, Whitebeard has no interest in any of that. But he does learn from Roger what the will of, what the will of D is and what the D name is. And so Whitebeard knows what the One Piece is and that it's out there as well as what the will of D is, which was nuts to think about. And it's like, no wonder he had such an interest in both Ace and Luffy. And we go on to learn potentially why. Whitebeard, unbelievably, is still alive, even after taking all those additional wounds from Blackbeard and his crew. But then he says something incredibly curious, as he mentions to him that he, Blackbeard in this instance, isn't the man Roger was waiting for. And even though Roger's bloodline died with Ace, eventually someone will carry on the will of both of them, thereby echoing the same sentiment that Hiroluk mentions all the way back in Drum. And in a very interesting and non-coincidence, that is the very same arc where at the end of it, we learn from Dr. Kureha the actual concept of the will of D. Of course, Oda makes it very clear that the person to carry on that will is in fact Luffy, and I like that little nice touch in the anime that they include that sort of white feather um, metaphor landing on him after the white feather fell at Whitebeard's feet signifying the passing of not only Roger and Ace's will, but Whitebeard's will as well. Now let's dive into the juiciest piece of information we got from this whole thing. The new development that Roger was waiting for someone. 
someone to find the One Piece and turn the world upside down, as Whitebeard says it. This opens up so many mysteries concerning the One Piece and everything we've learned so far. First off, why is finding the One Piece time sensitive? Like, why is it that when Roger initially found it, couldn't change the world then and there? And what about it made it so that he had to wait 22 plus years for it to happen? Well, I believe the, that Whitebeard just answered this question as soon as it was raised. He had to wait for this specific person to be born and come of age, and that person being Luffy. He, for some reason, has to be the one to find the One Piece, but why? This, unfortunately, at the time, couldn't really be answered. And even today, we, we do have a better idea, but still don't quite know exactly why. What's interesting about this is when you take this perspective into consideration that everyone in the know was waiting for a specific person to carry on that will, many things start to kind of come into place a little bit because it's been thought by many that most people, even Roger, assumed that the person would eventually be his own son, Ace, which is why Whitebeard took such an interest in Ace, why the world government wanted to find and kill Ace before he was even born so badly. And perhaps why Shanks originally was spending so much time on Don Island, despite being this big shot pirate. He wasn't there just to play with Luffy and just to hang out. He was there to perhaps watch over his former captain's son, Ace. But over the course of spending even just a short amount of time with Luffy, both Shanks and Whitebeard, as well as Crocus from the Twin Capes and Rayleigh from Sabori, all came to realize that perhaps they were all wrong and that the person Roger was actually waiting for. Was Luffy, which is why they all became so heavily invested in seeing that Luffy survived and continue on his journey. You can even see the turn in Whitebeard, as I previously mentioned in the last podcast, where this shift happened for Whitebeard, and it was precisely when Luffy displayed his immense conqueror's haki. After this point, Whitebeard has shifted his main focus to protecting Luffy and saving Ace. He had finally made that connection that Luffy was the man Roger was waiting for. The other question and connection that this one line introduced was the fact that the One Piece is something that has the ability or power to turn the world upside down for the world government. At this point, you begin to wonder what kind of treasure has the ability to do that? The ability to cause such a ruckus and instigate a worldwide war, as Whitebeard says. And two things immediately come to mind at first, at least for me. First, it was the ancient weapons. And or some kind of crazy mythical devil fruit or multiple fruits. But when I thought about, some, about that some more, I began to realize that these are probably wrong since why would something that was readily achievable as an ancient weapon or devil fruit be the one piece? These hardly seem like things that would be enough to cause the world government so much anxiety. Like, sure, they were hell bent on getting Pluton's plans from Tom, Iceberg, and Frankie. And, but even then, it hardly seemed like you know, on the level of world-shattering levels of concern type effort. Otherwise, they would have just straight up said to hell with nuance and just captured all three of them and locked them up, torturing them to give it up. But speaking of NES Lobby, what else from that arc did we legit see the world government actually freak out about and completely overreact to? And that's right. It's Robin's flashback to the Ohara Buster Call incident. This is where things get really interesting. We saw the Gorose as they were talking to Professor Clover, and the second he mentions the ancient kingdom, and specifically its name, which we never got to hear, they ordered Spandine to kill him on the spot 
and wipe out the entire island with all of its inhabitants, research, knowledge, and completely eradicate and erase it all. And this sure seems like it would fit the bill. What if the One Piece is not treasure in the traditional sense, like something that would give wealth, fame, or power, but it's in fact knowledge? Now, I'm not entirely saying that this is correct because there are still many clues we get later on that give us a bit more insight, but we still don't quite have a clear idea what the One Piece is. But I think it at least has something to do with knowledge and specifically the history of the ancient kingdom and perhaps what happened during the Void Century. Either that, or it will lead to or allow the discovery of that information. If what truly happened to the ancient kingdom during the Void Century were to ever come out, it could potentially cause an uproar of the entire world after it was shown just how corrupt and evil the marines, the world government, and the celestial dragons really are, causing everyone to revolt against the whole system, which could potentially lead to this sort of all-out war that Whitebeard is mentioning here. But to bring it back to the story, we get a heartfelt insight into Whitebeard and just what kind of a man he was. And he definitely was one of the good ones, as we see. He wasn't a pirate that did evil stuff, but more so to create a home for other outcasts and misfits. But before that, we get one last incredible hair-raising moment from Whitebeard. With his last immense breath, he boldly carries on his good friend's will by yet again reinvigorating the Great Pirate Age. And the moment where he yells, the One Piece is real, or One Piece wa jitsuzaisuru, is just incredible. This moment, of course, is very reminiscent of the beginning of the series with Roger's execution and his declaration of the One Piece that initially kicked off the Great Age of Pirates. But Whitebeard here makes sure that this will is carried on. And this is such an incredible moment that many people will always remember. And Whitebeard dying while standing up is a, it's just about the most boss way of dying in this series. And the thing that always stands out to me is Oda's reluctance to kill off any of his characters up to this point. Yet he chose to kill off two major supporting characters in one arc within episodes of each other. It speaks volumes about the impact that he wanted Marineford to leave on the story, his world and his characters, and more specifically, the impact it had on Luffy. This will forever change him as a character, which we won't get into here because we are for sure going to dedicate a lot of time to his character development over the course of the story up to this point after this sort of mini arc that happens post Marineford completes. Now, there's still a lot more to talk about, and I do want to talk more about this, but this podcast is already running pretty long as is, so we'll leave it at that. Um, But yeah, this arc just has insane moments and epic events one after another but would you believe that there are still a lot more moments and specifically there are three big ones that stand out to me and we'll get into those in the next podcast as we get one of my all-time favorite moments in one piece and i can't wait to talk about that moment but yeah if you did enjoy this send me a like or comment and if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching one piece please consider subscribing check out my instagram and twitter account at sunny podcast for updates on when I post new episodes and to see some pictures of my manga collection. As always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. Uh, no spoiler section today. I know there are a couple things I probably could have talked about in the spoiler section, but I'm going to save a lot of that and condense it down to another episode, perhaps. But yeah, stay safe out there, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye! Bye!